Content warning. This series will discuss topics that may bring up painful experiences for you. Please take the time to surround yourself with good medicines. If need be, pause the playback and go for a walk, stretch, have a glass of water, and come back to the show when you feel comfortable. Welcome to the Métis Speaker Series. I'm your host, Darian Kovacs. On this podcast series, we will be exploring learning, healing, and rebuilding within the Métis community. Our goal is to create awareness of and generate discussion about Métis issues, as well as how to heal from and move forward in a healthy way. We hope to reduce Métis invisibility in BC through the personal stories from our Métis community members. The show is brought to you by the Métis Nation of British Columbia, and jelly marketing. Hello everyone, my name is Marie Schoenthal. I come from Calgary. My dad's name was Michael. My mom's name was Alice. I am proud to be Métis. Marcy, thank you, Coca Marie. I'd like to start off today just by a territorial acknowledgement. I'm in Cranbrook, BC, and the home of the Tanaha Nation, and also home to the Rocky Mountain Métis Association. Amy Ototan, Ni Papa James Ni Mama Debbie McPhee, Ma Paranti Paranto Gosling, Nia Mitune Hello everyone, my name's Amy. And I'm coming here from Cranbrook, BC. My dad's name is James Conakey. My mom's name is Debbie McPhee. My relatives are the Shrets, the Paranatos, the Goslings. And I'm really proud to be Métis. Thank you both for being here. If we jump right in here, what can you tell us about the diversity of Indigenous languages in Métis communities? That's such a good question. And Marie and I were speaking this morning about how we wanted to talk on this podcast about this subject, because both of us feel like we're not linguists, but we both have a genuine passion for the Métis culture, for who we are as Métis people, and a real deep connection to the Métis history and culture and, and to the, absolutely to the language. And we felt like it was only fair to be able to share Koka Marie's story. And Koka Mimichif means grandma. And Marie and I have known each other for 18 years. And she's really become like a grandma to me. And so we really felt like in order to share what our journey is on language revitalization and healing through language, is that we really need to share part of Marie's story. So Marie's story starts in southeastern Saskatchewan and in a small city called Crooked Lake. And there was probably like 20 families, 80 to 100 people. So Koka Marie, I'm just going to let you speak a little bit about your journey living on a Métis Road Allowance. How did that make you feel? And we can maybe answer some questions from there. Thank you, Amy. Yes, I was born and raised in Saskatchewan. 
and it was east of Regina. It was just a little Métis community in between four reserves, and our community was there, and it was in Coppell Valley. So therefore, four reserves are on the south side of us. North side of us, there was big farmers. There was French and Germans. So we were right in between there. And I'm the youngest in the family of seven. And so I was the last one to start school. I was only six years old. Didn't know a word of English when I started school. Marie, when we talk about that you lived on a road allowance, um, so just so people are really clear, it's in between the farmer's fields. So Métis people, like she said, weren't accepted at the time on reserves, so they weren't allowed to live in reserves. She's talking about 1930s in Canada. They also weren't accepted by a lot of white people, and they weren't a lot of times allowed to live in the white communities. So they had to live on what they call these road allowance. So the farmer had access to all sides of their land. That's what a road allowance is. So that's where Marie ended up. What kind of house, Coca Marie, would you say you lived in? What kind of amenities did you have? Okay, it was a log house. So in the fall, the ladies had to plaster the walls because through the summer with the rain and everything, the walls were pretty bare by winter. So they'd plaster it with mud and water and straw. And when I say mud, it was just certain dirt that they had to get to make this plaster so they can go in between the logs, okay? And they'd have to plaster inside and outside. And that's what kept the house warm for the winter. And on this house, it was just a one room. And I had one older brother that was four years older than me. And with my mom and dad, that was four of us in one room. So needless to say, we had our bedroom, our dining room, our kitchen. I can't say bathroom because we didn't have plumbing. We had an outhouse for a toilet. So it was all in one room and it was heated with wood, you know. And uh, it, it was very, very cold in the 30s and 40s in Saskatchewan. Needless to say, we had a lot of cold nights and my dad would have to get up in the middle of the night and try to keep the fire going, you know, but that's the way it was. And if you had to go to the washroom at night, you had to get half dressed and run to the toilet. And of course, we didn't have electricity, no electricity, no heating other than wood, you know, so not having electricity and no water, it was really hard. And we didn't have access to a, a fridge because we didn't have no power. That was a real downfall. But I didn't know any different. And I don't think my parents did either. They just went along with everything we had in this one room house. The one room house. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Coca Marie. I'm just wondering what languages did you speak at home and did your parents read and write? Oh, yeah. I failed to mention both my mom and dad did not read or write. And my mom, she lived to just two days short of nine years old and she never spoke English. My dad had the opportunity of 
learning a little English because he was working out this one farmer for years and years as I can remember. He'd ride the horse and go to this farmer. And that's where, in them days, they didn't pay very much, you know. So every morning he'd ride off and go to work. And that was our only income. And for us to go to school, we had to supply our own material like books and pencils and crayons. We were not supplied anything because the government did not recognize Métis then, you know. They've come a long way now. Going back to the language, it was hard. Well, my dad, we went to church. We were really, they were really good Catholics. So my dad spoke French fluently, but my mom was very unfortunate. She never did learn to speak English or even anything. Like if I'd come home from school and I'm doing my homework, I couldn't get help from her because she didn't know too much. You know, she didn't go to school. She doesn't speak English. So It was hard. It was really hard. My parents were very, very quiet people. We did not ask too many questions at home, but I didn't know any difference. So only after I got on my own is I thought, I wish I would have learned these things at home, but we didn't. Not saying that they were bad, but they didn't know any better. I think that's really important. I was just thinking um, when we talk about when you said that you went to school, I know that in the past we, so we've shared this story many, many times. This is a presentation (laughs) we do all across Canada, living on a Métis road allowance, but it was only recently with the acknowledgement of the children that were buried at residential schools and that conversation that came out about going to residential school. Did you finally admit that you actually went to a residential day school because you felt a lot of shame and a lot of stigma and a lot of racism around that. Maybe can you just share really quickly, um, how did it feel? Like, were you allowed to speak Michif when you went to school? I know this is a really hard story for you to share, but if you're able to share, you know, how did the nuns treat you? And how did that make you feel? Again, I know it's a really hard for you, so please do your best to be able to share that. Yeah, well, when I started school at six, being the youngest in a family of seven, but okay, so my older siblings were pretty well all gone by the time I started school at six years old. But the thing about it is, whatever little English they learn at school, when we come in the door after school in the evening, we would just automatically speak our language, which was Michif. So it was really complicating, you know, trying to keep up to your language and go to school. And the school that I attended at six years old, I didn't have a word of English myself. So it was really hard. And there was a nun that would walk maybe a city block from the residential school to our school, which we went to the reserve to this one building that they borrowed to us or whatever way you want to. But there was this building, just a one room, two story. And this nun would walk to our our school, but she was really very, very strict. 
And she was pretty handy with the strap, too, especially with boys that were hard to handle. And I remember it was two cousins. And they were always laughing at everything that went wrong. So they would literally just go outside at recess and do something wrong. And then when they were brought in, she would take out the strap and she'd strap them. That frightened me. And if we said anything wrong, which I didn't know right or wrong because I didn't speak English, then stand in a corner in the corner, either kneeling down the corner or standing. And you can feel the students in the classroom giggle and laugh. And that made me feel really, really sad and intimidated. And I start drawing back. I did I did, I didn't want to talk that much. I didn't want to do too much. I was I was even ashamed when my mom would come because she couldn't speak English. And, she couldn't speak to the children. If they were doing anything to me, my mom could not come to the school and say, well, what are you doing to her? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. She never came to the school, even if they were on the wrong. You know, that's what makes me so sad that she couldn't get involved because she didn't speak English. But anyway, going to the school and this building was right on the reserve. So even the people from the reserve would call us half-breeds and drunks and all this really bad things. And, and that really, really hurt me. And it made me not want to talk too much. I just kept to myself, and which I did till I left home. I was 15 when I left home, which was unfortunate, but that's because we weren't supplied we had to buy our own books all our school supplies and a little bit of money my dad made at the farmers it didn't really go that far because we have to eat too you know so that's why I left home at 15 that's Um, when he got a stroke he couldn't supply anything yeah thanks for sharing that Coca Marie because I know that that you know, you've shared that a few times now and it, I could see it's it's still really hard for you. I can see it in your face. And I mean, I can't imagine how that would make me feel as like a student going into a school and that oppression that you face, you're being shamed for speaking your own language. So I know that's a really hard story for you to share, but I think it's a really important story because it really shows us, you know, the discrimination that Métis people had. And you, you only within the last six months have been able to share that. So Marcy, for, for really sharing that with us. And then I know that you attended other schools and at those other schools too, when you went to the English school, maybe you can just share quickly, how did that make you feel when you got a new school? Oh, the thought of getting a new school was really exciting. But when it opened, and it was on the road lounge, it was in our community, you know, if you want to call it a community, it was on the road lounge. But it was a new building, but it was multicultural. It was the Germans, the French, and, and we had beaches right close to where we were. So there was a lot of different kinds of children there, and they'd always ask us questions. They'd always make us feel like less worth, and even to 
carry a conversation by then. We got that school when I was in grade six. So I only went there for two years, but they'd laugh at us. They'd ask us questions like, uh, where'd you get your clothes or anything like this? And my mom made my clothes. My mom, she was pretty good at sewing because my dad worked for this farmer. So therefore they knew us and they'd give us old clothes and my mom would make me some clothes. And it was hard because the kids would laugh And my mom made me some underclothes. I was only six, seven. It was made out of flower bags. And the flower bags were marked with Robin Hood. You can see it. Well, they don't have big bags like that too much nowadays. But if mom and dad had a big bag of flour, then she'd empty it into containers. And then she'd try to bleach. We didn't have bleach. We had lye, which was really, really a strong for some like bleach. But when she made me my underclothes with this flower bag, the Robin Hood didn't really come off. And at school, when, you know, boys be boys and we were playing around and I fell over. And from there on, they called me Robin Hood because they saw what my panty was. And that really hurted me because my mom, I was so proud of it. I was so proud of what she made for me. And she made my clothes the best way she knew how. But for the kids to make fun of us and fun of each other, it it was hard, you know. But that made me very, very quiet. You know, like I, I was withdrawn from reality really it was hard to live I'd cry myself to sleep at night because I was so sad was really the word for it because when I'd go to bed and you know I I think of all what Kate went on and my mom and dad did not did not talk to us too much we we didn't just sit around a table and talk. No. So therefore, I kept everything in here, you know. And when I left home, it was still in here, you know. Then I left and I went to work. And then from there, I went to Regina. And then I hid. I didn't want anybody to know that I was Métis. I didn't know how to explain what's a Métis. If somebody asked me that, I would just shy away. I didn't want to say anything. And so, therefore, when I got married, I thought, good. He didn't speak Michif. His mom was Michif, but his dad was German, so he did not say one word in Michif. So I thought, oh, I got away. So I sent my kids to school. I had three kids. And never did I talk about being Métis. Up to now, they're in their 50s, the three of them, in Calgary here, and they don't know the language. But now that I'm doing this, and I didn't start till I was 65, actually came out and said, like, who I was. And it was with the help of Amy, as we're talking to Amy today. She's my rock. She's the one that helped me. She helped me find myself at 65 years old. That's 18 years ago. 
Other than that, I was always shying away. I worked at Costco, so it's a pretty large business. And if somebody was talking about their culture and what they had, well, I was born to poor, poor, poor people. So I didn't want to explain where I was from. I didn't want to explain what I was. But when I found myself, I'm happy now. But that's with the help of Amy that stood by me and made me strong. And that's why I call her my rock. I know it's hard to share all of these things and it brings back so many memories for you. And I know that when we talk about healing and healing through language revitalization, you can see how the story affects Marie. And every time she tells a story, although this is a very small condensed version of it, it triggers memories, but it's still healing. And when she says she came out when she was 65, I can't imagine how that would feel to be ashamed of who you were for 65 years. I mean, how hard that would have been for you. And now in your 80s, you're able to share this story with us. So we're really able to understand where you came from. So Marcy, for that, I know how hard it is and how the name calling you always say affected you. And how you weren't able to speak your language, that you were ashamed of speaking your language, probably since you were six years old, you were ashamed to speak this language that was your mother tongue. And I mean, how hard that would be. So now to be able to come out when we talk about language revitalization, to be able to be proud, to be able to share this culture and this knowledge with us, we really, really appreciate it. So Marcy, Marie. Amazing. So now today, jumping to 2021, soon to be 2022, where and when do you see yourself practicing your language? Yeah, so that's a really great question. So we were just actually recently in the Cypress Hills in Alberta at a Métis Michif language retreat, a conference where Marie was able to come together with other Michif speakers and to be really, to be able to share that language with us. So we learned some basic conversation, how to greet people and to really, to get an understanding, to explore our own Métis culture and our own Métis heritage. Because I think that language is really important, but knowing the whole piece of our language is also very important to know our culture and to know our history. And I feel like that's what we really shared there. Coca Marie also does language lessons. We do language lessons where we invite people to join us on Zoom, like we are today, to be able to share basic language conversations. That's incredible. So if you were to talk to someone who maybe hears the language for the first time, how would you explain it in relationship maybe to French and then maybe to English? Yeah, so that's another really good question. Um, so Métis language is a very unique and diverse language. We have many dialects of Michif. The main three dialects that we have is French dialect, which a lot of people spoke in Northern Ontario. Cree dialect spoken mostly in Northern Alberta and Northern Saskatchewan. The Michif that Marie speaks that she's passed on a little bit to myself and to other learners is French nouns, Cree verbs, and it's a joining of the two languages. It's actually the only language in the world that takes nouns from one language and verbs from the other and puts them together. It's super unique. And nowadays, it's what we call Southern Michif or Heritage Michif. So the thing about when Marie's speaking Michif, and Marie, maybe you can share with us 
some of the things is that everywhere that they went, the midshift speakers went, they had different dialects. So it, it wasn't like we had, it was always an oral language. It was never a written language. It's only been in the last 20 or so years that it's always been an oral language. So depending on where you live, Marie, everyone spoke a little bit different, right? Oh, definitely. There's different dialects. So there's no right or wrong in Mitchif. There's just no right or wrong. I've done this. We've gone to BC and Manitoba. We went to Thunder Bay for different language, you know, and it's different. It's really different. I can sit in a boardroom in Edmonton. They say it's Mitchif again. There's no right or wrong. So I just have to sit in and listen to them where it's about 90% Cree up north. And I don't speak or understand too much Cree, excepting for the words we use. It's really, really confusing language. Very hard to explain to people. Marie and I were talking about this before uh, the podcast. And like we said, we've been working together for 18 years. And throughout the last 18 years, like pieces of our story would come out and pieces of our language would come out. And we were really, you know, we'd sit down and explore these things. I'd ask her questions and she's very candid and open about sharing them with us, which we're really grateful for. But I think that when you first came out and you were excited because you started to become proud again of who you were. But when you went to conferences, sometimes people made you feel ashamed. And maybe just explain how you almost reverted back because of how people said, oh, that's not how you say it. And I think that just being able to talk a little bit about that and how there is no right and wrong is really important. So can you elaborate on that for us? Sure. Yes. No right or wrong is the thing that I mention every time I do anything for people and the experience that when I was 65 and I met you, Amy, and I was doing some Mitchiff lessons there and I saw these two people in the crowd and they kept giggling and laughing and shaking their head. So that made me feel, I think I'm not going to do this no more, but I just kept going. And that is because we use some Cree and they were Cree. They weren't Métis. So, and that really made me think about this. Do I really want to do this? But already I had been talking about being Métis. So I didn't want to turn back, but it's hard to go through this. I've had that thrown at me a few times. Well, you're not saying it right. There's no right or wrong. So if I in Cree, I think they have a written language. So uh, it's good that they do, but we didn't. And, and yes, there's a lot of meanings that stand, you know, kind of. Like double meanings? Like they could mean one thing. Yes. Yeah. In Cree, they might be a swear word or something like that. Exactly. Go ahead, Marie. But I was just wondering, too, Mm -hmm. like when you say maybe you can just really quickly explain like the difference between the s and the sh sound. Like, you know, in Cree, they use a lot of if you want to explain that. Sure. Yes. And that's another thing I always say at the beginning of my lessons is we have a lot of sh. A really harsh, you know, 
in our mischief. The Crees have there's a difference. And that's when we started teaching mischief. This is where I kind of wanted to give up. Do I really want to do this? But then again, you see, Amy did not let me give up. So I am where I am. But that is definitely the big difference in mischief and pre. So quick question for the both of you. How did the two of you meet? That's a great question. So I worked at the Miosin. It's an Aboriginal friendship center, Indigenous friendship center in Medicine Hat. And I was a cultural coordinator and I still do work back for Miosin. Polka Marie was living in Medicine Hat and we found out through her niece Mm -hmm. that she was living there and she spoke Michif and we were so excited. We're like, wow, we had to learn Michif. And usually when she tells her story, she talks about how I phoned her once and we made an appointment and she didn't even keep that appointment. The second time I phoned her, she did graciously answer her phone and she met it. But because she was so ashamed of who she was and her heart was so broken and so she just wanted to hide. And that's what she she talks a lot about hiding. And once we were able to really explore, we were so excited to meet her. And I think our enthusiasm really wore off on her to know that who she was was a lot of value. Right. She had a lot of value, a lot of worth. And she always says that we saved her, we're her rock. But really, in the end, it's us who really gained all of this invaluable knowledge. I mean, although I grew up as a Metis person, I knew I was Metis, but I didn't grow up living in a Metis lifestyle. And to be able to have this knowledge of someone who grew up on a road allowance, who spoke midshift, she taught us dancing, you know, it's a a cultural knowledge that she was able to really pass on to us, which again is a healing, right? So when we talk about healing and language and healing revitalization, this is really a healing inside of it. And when we felt like what we were going to talk about we're not linguists. Marie and I really, we just want to share our knowledge. And so to be able to heal, this is what has healed both Marie and I to be able to explore our culture. It's amazing. So I need to ask, can you share some of your favorite midship learning? So whether it's inspirational sayings, gratitude, words to live by, I would love to hear some of those. Maybe what you could do, because Marie is a traditional speaker, Marie, Can you just tell us a few things in midshift? Like, are you able to express how you feel when you speak midshift in midshift? Like, are you able to share with us that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Metonin, nimiyehten, pikskuyan malang, tulijur, pikskuyan, mumakawiyakakakakitutak. But, met, I, I, that's beautiful marcy marie i mean it would be really amazing and i know that we're on a podcast but i think it would be really amazing for you one day to share your story in mitchif and i know for you it's hard but even though it's your mother tongue you know you don't have anyone to speak to and then you really you struggle yourself with words so when we talk about language revitalization we need to make sure that our elders are speaking mitchif with each other also because that's how we also keep our language alive is when we can hear that language so if marie and i were doing a lesson together there's a lot of times where I asked Marie, how do you say that? And then she was like, um, for example, I was asking her today, how do you say really? Can you tell me again? Really? Yeah. Mitune? 
Oh, yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yes, it is. I've been up since 3.30 this morning, so my brain is not too. <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing great. So if someone wanted to learn the language, where are the best places to start? Where should someone yeah, go? That's a great question. On Facebook, if you join Facebook, there's something called Southern Midship for Beginners, and you can join that. That's a really great language resource. It's by Heather Suter and the Southern Midship Language Revitalization Group. And Heather's a linguist, and they've developed an amazing program. There's also uh, Norman Fleury, who's another Midship speaker, and he's uh, very well known in our communities. Uh, he has something called Midship to Go. It's an app that people can explore. If you go on to Gabriel Dumont Institute, GDI, there's a lot of resources that you can look and you can hear a lot of the recordings in Midshift also. There's a lot of places. This is, we're talking specifically about Southern Midshift or what we call Heritage Midshift. So again, you know, what I always encourage people to do is explore who their Métis ancestries are, and then really find what Midshift dialect would suit you and your family the best. Like Marie said, there's no right or wrong. So, you know, you can learn multiple dialects and that's okay. And just being really confident to be able to speak the way that your family's always spoke it, right? Because I think, you know, when Marie taught me, how do you say hi, hello, Tanishikia, or Tanishikia, wow, if you want to say hello, hello, everybody. But mm-hmm. a lot of people say Tanse, and that's okay too, right? It depends on where you came from, what your family background, what road allowance or what community did they come from. So being really comfortable and confident just to say the words. And I think that's the biggest thing when we talk about healing as a people, as a Métis nation, is being able just to say these words with pride, even if we're not saying them right. Because I think that's what Marie's always taught me is that she feels so proud when people are speaking her language. So I really feel, and I want to encourage everyone to explore their, not only their Métis ancestry, their genealogy, and then really explore what midshift you want to learn and utilize the resources that we have. And if you say it wrong, it's okay. Don't let people judge you because at least you're being proud and you're you're speaking your language. That's incredible. So why don't we close with a lesson for today sure. of something that someone could use this week? Uh, again, uh, you know, whether you're watching or listening, What's the easiest thing someone could learn? Why don't we start with something nice and easy that they could use kind yeah, of day in a day? Sure. So Coca Marie, can you please tell us why don't you say hi, how are you in Michif? And I will repeat it. Tanshikia. Tanshikia. Again? Tanishikia. Tanishikia. One more time. Tanishikia. Tanishikia. How about if you wanted to say, I am fine? How would you say that? Nimioyan. 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 And what if you wanted to ask somebody, what is their name? Tanishi, Eishinikashoyan. Tanishi, Eishinikashoyan. Tanishi. And how would you answer that? I would say, Marie, this is your name. And I think we've been hearing it throughout the, throughout the episode, but thank you. How do you say thank you? Marcy. Marcy. 
So as you can see, the French, when you hear the French, it is like an older French. It's a French that came over with the early voyageurs, the earlier explorers, when the European men came over with the fur trade and they married the indigenous or First Nations women. That's the kind of French that came over. So you hear instead of Melcy, you hear Marcy. If you knew the days of the week in French, like we'll just give you a really quick example. If I was to say it in French, I would say lundi. Lundi. Mardi. Mardi. Mercredi. Mercredi. Jeudi. Suidi. Vendredi. Vendredi. Samedi. Samedi. Dimanche. Dimanche. So you can really see how the D's turn into G's. So you can really see, although when we talk about French nouns and Cree verbs, it really is a different type of French. It's an older French. So the midshift language, there's no word for goodbye. We don't actually say goodbye, Marie, because you said that's too final. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. So if we wanted to say good, we wanted to see, I see you again soon. Can you tell us how to say that, please? Kawapamitin mina. Kawapamitin mina. Kawapamitin mina. Kawapamitin mina. So that means see you again soon. Yeah. So again, we don't have a word for goodbye, which in many indigenous languages, they don't have a word for goodbye. So kawapamitin mina. See amazing. you again. That's amazing. So those that have studied French, you know, whether grade school, high school, they have a small advantage because there's some, you know, rootedness in that language. Yeah, and a really good way to kind of see how the language comes together. So you can see the French nouns and the Cree verbs. Marie, can you say, do you have children in Machif? Les enfants, So les enfants would be the children. Chen kitiawawak being do you have. So you can really see how the language comes together. So like you said, Darren, we do have an advantage, but I think it's really also important to realize we need to make sure we're saying it in the midshift way. And I know that I, some, because I do speak a little bit of French, but it's really important to, that's why asking elders like, like Coca Marie, Marie, can you please repeat that? And really listening to how you say it, you know, not saying lundi, lundi. So I think that that's also really important to be able to really listen. And the elders are really most elders are really comfortable sharing their language with you because they just want it to be heard. They want it to be, so just say, can you please repeat that? And I know Marie and I sit here for a long time and I listen to her and I say, is it like this? No. Is it like this? Yes. And then to be able to repeat it. And we use a lot of phonetical writing. So they have what we have a double vowel system. Now, like I said, it's always been an oral language. And now we're moving to more written language. And Norman Fleury has created with Peter Bacher, a linguist, what we call a double vowel system. So when we encourage people to write it out, if you're using it for a presentation, to use the actual proper double vowel system. But when I'm learning, I learn it and I just write it phonetically. So Marie says... I write it how I hear it. And I encourage people to do that because that's how you're going to remember how to speak the language. So, yeah. This has been incredible. Marie, Amy, anything else you want to leave with listeners and viewers? Marie, what's your final words? What would you like to close with today? I just want to close with have a good day. 
be happy and stay healthy. I'm just so happy to be here with you. Marcy Marie, I would like just to close by saying how honored and privileged it's been to be asked to speak by the Métis Nation British Columbia. And just what a privilege it is to be able to be proud of who I am as a Métis person, to understand who I am as a Métis person, and to be able to pass this on to our children, to school groups, to adult groups. And being proud of who you are is just so important because it's the root of who you are. So being able to be proud, and that's what Coca Marie has always taught me, is to be proud of who you are. You know, to for her to be in hiding for 60 five years of her life and to feel that shame and now to be able to come out that us younger people have to really be proud of who we are as Métis people and you don't need to be an expert I'm not a linguist Coca Marie is not a linguist but we're able to share our language and our culture with you so just being proud if you have a word if you have a dance Find what your gift is. And we have another elder we work with, Doreen Burgum, and she always says we have a gift. Find out what your gift is, whether it be in your feet with your dancing, in your heart with your language, whether it be with your hands, playing the violin, you know, whatever your gift is, you know, you might be a writer, a poet, an artist but share that gift with the world and be proud of it. So that's what I would like to close with today is a big Marcy to Coca Marie for giving me the gift of language, giving me the gift of knowledge and being proud of who I am. So Marcy Marie, I know your story is hard, but it's a story that I really feel privileged to be a part of. Yeah, it was a real honor to, to meet you both and have you on the show today. And thank you for sharing so much with all the listeners and viewers today. We'll see everyone next time on the Métis Nation podcast. This has been the Métis Speaker Series podcast. I'm Darian Kovacs. Thanks to the Métis Nation of British Columbia for making this possible with funding provided by the Civil Forfeiture Office's Indigenous Healing Stream. You can listen to all of our episodes, learn more about the podcast, and sign up to the Métis Nation of BC newsletter to stay up to date on Métis news at metispodcastseries.ca. You can find out more about the music we're playing by Love Life by visiting SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash lovelifeofficial, L-U-V-L-Y-F official, and link in the show notes for your convenience. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening device. See you again soon. Mina Kawapa Mitten. Thank you, Marcy, for listening. <laughs>